Hello and welcome to Serious Inquiries Only. I'm your host, Thomas Smith, and this is episode 421, and this is a part two. So I know podcast players can sometimes be dumb. If you're hearing this and you somehow missed part one, go back an episode, because this is continuing my conversation with Alejandro Ruiz about tech anti-solutions. We get into more real examples in this one, and uh, it just goes so many fun places. Again, Alejandro, absolute delight to speak to. Can't wait to do it again. Hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Please support the show at patreon.com slash serious pod. You get all the goodies. You get the bonus. Oh, I'm recording the bonus tomorrow as I, as I say this, actually, I'm really excited for that one. It's going to be great. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't say things until they happen. Cause who knows if something, you know, a hurricane, I don't know, something might happen, but the bonus is going to be great this month. Really looking forward to it. That and ad free shows and all the other goodies at patreon.com slash serious pod. So I hope you consider supporting the show. Thanks to all who do. And with that, let's get on over to part two with Alejandro Ruiz talking about the $100 billion put into self-driving car technology. So who's $100 billion or is this? Like when you use that number, are you talking about like, have we put $100 billion of government taxpayer no, dollars into no, this? Or are you no, talking about this is, investor this is, money? I think it's it's venture capital money. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. that's not going to go into that. You know what I mean? Like, is that no, even a valid comparison? I think it's a valid comparison because as a committed socialist, I think we should take their money. <laughs> oh, I agree with that. But like, I think we need to evaluate these things. I don't mind stepping back into two levels of evaluation. Like on one hand, sure. I'm a hundred percent with you. I don't think there should be billionaires. Like I think it would be super cool. It's, I think someone put it in a tweet that was fine. I probably have stronger views than this, but even settling at this, like once you hit nine, 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 like that million before a billion, you get like a certificate that says you won capitalism and then you can't have any more money. And that's, (laughs) you know, like something like, like, I don't, I don't think there should be billionaires. I think there should be massive tax, uh, wealth tax or some, whatever it is to like, you know, you'd have to configure how it do all the economics of like, you know, at what level. Would it reduce our tax revenue? I, and I'm sure there will be a bunch of bullshit about that, but there's also some level of that. Anyway, point is, get that all figured out. We have a gajillion dollars. I totally agree with you. But mm-hmm. the level of analysis of we're where we are, roughly, what's within our grasp somewhat, you know, you don't have to say like nothing is possible. Like I get, if we're talking about solutions to things, we can say, hey, we can organize and make wealth tax happen, for example. But you have to be kind of within like what's what's achievable, roughly, you know, what's worth working toward right now. Because people are looking at this and saying, well, self-driving cars might be achievable within, you know, within our lifetimes, within probably sooner than that. So that's something that people can grasp onto. Is seizing the means of production achievable within the same time period? <laughs> like, I just, I just don't know. I mean, I'm all for it, but like, so is that a valid comparison? We're we're never going to get those investors to put that same money into something like fucking trains, you know, even, as much as I wish we could. So should that change how we look at it at all? I want to uh, take your question on its own terms, but the revolutionary in my heart <laughs> says no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do think major change is possible. You know, for example, self-driving cars require a lot of people like me, right? People who went to fancy engineering schools and know how to program or whatever. A lot of people like me have to work on them. And so part of the technological institutions framework, I want to put that out there and say, hey, do you work at one of these? Stop. (laughs) (laughs) Do something better with your life. Okay. (laughs) You know what? You can't stop working on it. Organize it. Make a union. Hmm. I think the hegemony of these companies does sometimes create like a realism to it. But Hmm. part of my project of the Luddite and of this framework 
is to very like consciously push back on it and say that like, I actually do think, like I used to work at big tech companies and now I don't. And I started a cooperative. And I think it is very common in the tech community to want to one day start your own company Uh and do that. And you know what? Make it a worker co-op, man. Be cool. (laughs) Make the world a little better. Don't get on the venture capital train. So, you know, all of you self-driving car uh, engineers out there, if you're listening and you want to start your own self-driving car company, do it and make it a worker cooperative. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's not Substack. Is that one of those things where you need a kajillion dollars to be able to do that research in an effective way? Yeah, you probably do. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope your co-op is a lot of very wealthy people. (laughs) No, I think there are, you know, my cooperative is actually by bylaws barred from raising venture capital, but that is not true of all worker cooperatives. Hmm. And there is a growing movement of not to start proselytizing co-ops. No, feel free. (laughs) Put my socialist hat on here. But one of the principles of a co-op is co-ops help co-ops, right? So this is actually from, I think it's called the Rochdale Principles, and they're pretty old. They're from like the 19th century. And that's actually very radical, right? Companies Mm -hmm. should help other companies. It's a pretty radical stance to take. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But I think part of why I started a worker cooperative and part of my mission as as the president of a worker cooperative is to help other worker cooperatives. And one of the things that worker cooperatives are trying to do is we can share capital. Mm -hmm. There are structures for worker cooperatives to retain the democracy, but also allow you to raise venture capital in the more traditional sense, Mm -hmm. whether or not you can get venture capitalists to buy into that is a different story. But there is very active, small but active movement to try to be able to build that capital like among worker cooperatives. And so I say it is possible. And mm-hmm. and find find the co-op folks. Do it. If you want to start a self-driving car company, do it. Make it a worker cooperative. You know what? Email me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start one. Yeah. I want to drive a train. Can I email you and join your company? No, you can't Damn. email me. Okay. Too bad. <laughs> I have such a good idea for a disrupting hat. That's gonna, Instead of the stripes going one way, they're going to go a different way than the stripey hat normally goes. It's going to disrupt the whole train engineer. I thought you were going to say you had a great idea to disrupt self-driving cars, which is trains, which, which is true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a great idea. <laughs> self-driving trains. Not even. <laughs> All right. So fair enough on the $100 million. I definitely take most of your points there. And mm-hmm. I do think that, yeah, it's hard because I just, I don't know how to get, I, I guess part of me thinks there's a little bit of false dichotomy in that it's not really the same money or people like even even with your yeah. co-op idea, which I love, it still is fundamentally that's a company or a business where it should be a government solution. And I don't know, you know what I mean? Does that make that same category error in a sense? And we should be talking about tax funded uh, projects. Yes, I agree with you. And I think it's complicated. And I did, I, I kind of took a stronger stance than I than I should have, maybe just rhetorically. But I do think Where it does matter is, you know, I think I said this earlier, but technology, it doesn't exist in vacuum. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things I always advocate for to people who want to do something with a tech mission is the structure of your organization should reflect your goals in some way. Mm. You know how it is when you like have started, you know, you started a podcast. I'm sure every time you're like mom's friends, cousins, buddy wants to start a podcast, like you're, you get that email. I get that for tech companies. And for me, it's like, people are like, oh, I want to solve education. And I'm like, great, how are you going to do that? And they're like, I'm going to start a company. If you want to make the world a more democratic place, don't create a mini autocracy (laughs) to do that. (laughs) I think I did take a very strong stance. But what I do want to say is the structure of your organization does affect, you know, technology isn't linear, right? There's a lot of, it's infinitely branching and there's a lot of ways you can go. And 
the structure in which you develop that technology is going to affect it, even at some like very basic level, right? Like when a capitalist views a technology, technology is fundamentally within capitalism, labor saving, right? And that's cost saving. That's a very like specific yeah, way. And you can see, sure, but the cost saving for the capitalist, <laughs> yeah, to be clear, yeah. <laughs> bad for the labor. And you can see this in the way that the tech industry thinks about technology. It's a very capitalist way of looking at technology. When they see people below them doing things, they think, how can we automate it? Mm -hmm. They don't think, how can we expand their experience? Just to give like a stupid example of another structure, right? I'm a laundromat. I'm a capitalist laundromat. Okay. We, where this is the 1600s, we scrub everything with washerboards or whatever. Mm -hmm. We get a washing machine. We lay off all the people. Right, right, right. My family does laundry. My mom does laundry. Let's say if you get a washing machine, you don't get rid of mom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you like yeah. figure out like, oh wow, we had this like new time. How can we make like? And you know, I think this is a little bit of a silly example because the washing machine was the same in both, but. I think you can see like fundamentally how a cooperative thinks about technology is like a really different framework. You can kind of see this with like the, all the LLM stuff. All these capitalists see all their little workers talking to each other and they're like, this can be automated, even though they've, they've lost the plot. Like you can't automate human communication, right? Yeah. Like you've fully lost the plot with that. Wait, like, which, what, what example was that? You said LL... LLM, uh, ChatGPT. Oh, 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 oh. That, uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't... Sorry, I pivoted super hard. <laughs> well, I didn't know that that was the stated goal of ChatGPT. I mean, I feel like... I mean, that's how they always talk about it, right? They always talk about it as like, oh, we can automate everything with generative AI. And I think they see its power that way because they are capitalists and when they look down they're like well what do all of my workers do all the time well they fucking talk to each other they talk all the time so like what if i just make a thing that can talk <laughs> and like that's you know they, i think at this point they're so just engorged with capital and they've so lost the plot on doing anything of value that they like forgotten that human communication is not a thing you can automate. It's like a byproduct of collaboration. I, I, that's <laughs> you know? weird i didn't i never knew that that like i've never heard that as a stated goal like i think ChatGPT can do many incredible things. I didn't view as like trying to replace workers talking to each other or something. I didn't know that. Here's an example. I recently okay. wrote a post making fun of a scientific, I have a bunch of scientific papers that were like benchmarking ChatGPT's ability to do different tasks, right? Mm -hmm. So one of them was a doctor. Right. So it's like, we think that ChatGPT can replace doctors once it reaches some threshold of like, it can answer clinical responses well enough. To me, that is a very capitalist way of viewing a technology, right? Like when I'm hurt, I want to talk to a fucking person. <laughs> yeah. I don't need my doctors to be automated. The problem with, you know, this is not what a doctor does for me is much deeper than this like transactional thing. But I think sure. when you look at technology as like a only a labor cost saving thing, you end up in this like funny corner where you like view all these things as like atomic and automatable. Interesting. Yeah, I'd, I'm gonna have to chew on that a sec because I also like if I were to think by analogy, what if the technology for the Star Trek thing was realistic or something, you know, and you're like, well, this is Actually, eventually I'm, I'm gonna... I have to admit, I've never seen Star Trek. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've, I've barely seen Star Trek. You know, like, okay. <laughs> a, well, pick some sort of medical marvel. Like, a, this thing mm. is going to genuinely prevent or, or cure a bunch of diseases. And so, therefore, let's, let's say ju just for fun, like, just to make it simple, some sort of solution to cancer. Maybe you can say it's some tech solution, but something, and maybe mm. it's a biotech, whatever, and this is going to cure cancer. And you might have the same objection of like, well, yeah, that's going to put a lot of cancer doctors out of work, but people want to, you know, like, but you would want that mm. to happen. You know, there are times where you want people to be out of work because that means something good happened, right? I mean, I guess I'm trying to figure out how does, how does your analysis think about that? Mm. 
So I have a very long answer, but I feel like I'm pretty far off course <laughs> with the topic of our conversation. Yeah, you know what? This is a bad example. <laughs> I think it's it's just a whole conversation. And the LLM one is such a specific, it's such a specific use case. Like there's like a lot to unpack. Cause like there's a scholar I really like. This is the problem. <laughs> this is a big, this is a big rabbit hole. There's a scholar I really like, Dan McQuillan, who sort of argues that what it is, the best way to think about it, I think he calls it automated Thatcherism. <laughs> <laughs> And what these AI tools are, are automated austerity. So hmm. because of our social structure, like even the way you phrased it, I want this progress to happen. I don't remember exactly how you said it. Stop me if I'm putting words in your mouth. But it was like, this is the best thing to happen. And I want, I want this good thing to happen, even if it costs people their jobs. There's a little bit of reification happening there, right? Like that is technology does not necessarily cost people livelihoods. That That's like an artifact of our social structure. Right. Well, I want to make sure let's let's get on the same page. So yeah. <laughs> I'm actually I'm interested in this idea of it being a kind of a problem, I guess, to look at technology just in the sense of how will it save jobs? And that's a and let me know if I kind of have have you right what you were saying a moment ago, hmm. looking at it necessarily in that way of saving jobs of, uh, you know, and the way that capitalism has caused us to look at it in that way. I'm actually very sympathetic to that view. And I think that's interesting. I, I want to explore that. But, you know, the first thing I am doing is just kind of thinking of, okay, are there exceptions to that? I'm just trying to like wrap my mind yeah, around yeah. it. So the Tease first thing, the that, idea. yeah. So the first thing that comes to my mind is like, well, there are definitely times where I think everyone would say that if we could eliminate job X, we would want to not because of any capitalism reasons, but because that would just mean that we've made awesome progress in society. Like if if we could eliminate all cancer doctors tomorrow because we snap our fingers and we have a cure to cancer completely, we would want to do that and it wouldn't be like a capitalism thing necessarily. Sure. So I'm just, yeah. I, you know, I was just wondering like how that interacts with with uh, your framework here and, and what, you, what you make of that. I don't know. Is there a way to balance that? Well, I think it's a little bit difficult to answer because I think the hypothetical requires the existence of a technology as a premise versus like, like my, my concern is with the process of making it, right? So I think it's gonna be, let's pull it back to like a concrete example, which mm -hmm. I think it might make it clearer, right? Sure. So we were talking about self-driving cars. I like self-driving cars, they're cool, they're fun. I don't like them as a public transit solution because self-driving car companies are incorporated as venture capital companies, venture capital run and controlled companies, mm -hmm. they must grow. And what ends up happening is they're pushing it onto the streets and they're lying about the data or whatever, right? Like mm -hmm. despite, public disagreement. Like there's those people who are putting cones on them. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I love that. That's great. That's a, I mean, I'm literally my blog is called the Luddite. I'm for the smashing of technology <laughs> that you don't like. <laughs> so great, based and good. But that is not an artifact of the self-driving car itself necessarily, but of the deployment procedure sure. yeah. of that structure. And that's sort of what I'm trying to get at. Whereas had we developed self-driving car technology in a different environment, we wouldn't be deploying it like that. And the hmm. technology itself would probably look different, right? So here's a good example. Yeah. One of the um, the things that I think the self-driving car industry is learning is that making a self-driving car is going to necessitate modifying the environment. Hmm. Okay. Like in, in some way. And I think that rollout, that sort of like interplay could have been a lot healthier in like a public setting, for example. Yeah. So I can imagine, this is totally hypothetical. I can totally imagine that this is a solvable problem where my car is not self-driving until I get on the interstate 
And there's a mm -hmm. little RFID that says you're in self-driving space now. And there's special lanes mm -hmm. marked with whatever magic paint that make yeah. it like really easy for it right, to work. Right, right. Yeah. And only autonomous cars are allowed in those two lanes. That would that's like a solvable problem, right? Yeah, but it requires a sort of different social structure than the one that they have. But because capitalists can only view technology as you know, they look at the world as it is, they look at something that's expensive and they think, how can I replace that? They miss mm. that sort of like larger context where they could have done actual yeah. good. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's, that's, that's a great that's point. I think that's a better yeah. example. For sure. No, and I think that's interesting, especially if there's a certain sense in which something like transportation that's going to impact everyone in that way, like you, you could almost argue that it is the realm of government. Like it should be the kind of thing yeah, that like if absolutely. government were sponsoring research or we're saying like hey some billion dollar reward for anyone who who solves this problem which i think is a way of doing government that i don't know I, I could be wrong about this but i wish we explored that a little more because it's sort of like it inspires a bunch of creativity and you only spend money if they actually solve the problem that you're saying <laughs> that you yeah. want them to solve i don't know i have no idea how much it would work but it i've seen i can't remember when but if if you look at the economics of it it actually might work out quite well for the taxpayers <laughs> for, you know, like, yeah, but, sure. but anyway, let's say something like that, where if the government is more involved with it, they could make a decision like, or DOT could make a decision like, oh, this is super easy to paint some special paint on all freeways, you know, mm -hmm. that that's actually yeah. not going to be that difficult. And it would save, you know, in my limited experience as a programmer, that's exactly the kind of thing <laughs> that you wish you could control a lot of the time where you're like, fuck, I need yeah, this thing <laughs> to work, to be able to recognize this thing and this thing. Yeah. If these assholes could just change their forms so that both of them, you know, like <laughs> this department yeah, and yeah. this department puts their fucking shit in the same spot, then this is easy. I don't even have to be doing this. You know, it's that kind of thing where you're like, yeah, yeah if we could do the car version of that, which probably wouldn't be that hard, it could save literal billions in just how much effort it takes to make something that somehow recognizes all these exceptions with a enough accuracy to trust our lives with it kind of thing. So no, I, I think that's a great point. And yeah. it is interesting because I am, I'm just trying to think about, you know, there's so many good things that, and I know you agree, you've already said you agree, like there's so many cool technologies that we love or, or that we would love. And so how do we balance, are we going to give up something or would we hypothetically give up something by giving up this sort of model we currently have in favor of a, of a different model? I'm just kind of testing around what that would look hmm. like. So do you have yeah. uh, other examples? Do you want to transition into other examples of your <laughs> tech anti-solutions? I do. I'm really excited to talk about these. So I've got a few. I don't know how much many we'll have time for, but I guess I want to start with a really simple one because you already know about it, but I think it's illustrative of part of my framework. So I'm a, I chose my examples to kind of like tease out the framework mm. so that people, I want people to be able to name the demon from their home, right? Yeah. So I just sent you a link. Can you open that image? Oh, Cold Fusion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So re, can you read me that headline? The US reaches a fusion power milestone. Will it be enough to save the planet? Hmm. Yeah. So I really want to talk about this example because remember, this is a context-dependent analysis. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember when that happened. That was like a year ago. But all the headlines read like that. That was like yeah. across the board, right? Yeah. I think that is what we're seeing. First of all, it's the importance of that fifth point, right? It's got to be sexy. Fusion is sexy as hell. Everybody loves fusion. It's super cool. Save the planet. All that cool stuff. But it shows the important political and social context of the anti-solution, right? Like, I have a physics degree. Physics research is awesome. <laughs> mm -hmm. People should do it. But by 
grabbing it and putting it in that context of will it save the planet it can't save the planet the climate crisis is going to be locked in by the time that we can build the right, fusion right, reactor right. so i think that is the process by which i think it's a very discrete example of mm. the process by which something becomes an anti-solution right it's the same as what we saw earlier with the beccs way back in the paris climate agreement part of the conversation right where there's nothing wrong with what those researchers are doing sure but the existing political economy around it, like twist it and warp it. So that's my first example. Yeah. Well, it does raise an interesting question of how much of this is necessarily how the research is being done intentionally or not by the people doing it. And how much of this do you think is shitty media framing or is us being like, hey, here's this news that seems cool and is a cool tech thing. And we're like, yeah, hey, I heard the planet's dying. Will this fix that? Like, you know what I mean? Is there is there anything there? You know, do you think any of this could be the media receiving it and wanting it to put it in that lens versus the people actually trying to save the world or, or, or essentially lying, for lack of a better term, as you said before, about the scope and trying to pitch it as those giant things? So one of the things that I want to make sure is a lot of the people who work at anti-solutions are actually very committed to the cause that they're working on. Mm. So in, in the case of cold fusion, you know, I, I have friends who do nuclear research. I think it's great. Like mm-hmm. they should keep doing it. But I think the thing that has failed here, I think I'm going to put a little bit of blame on the people doing the research on the one hand. But first I want to start with, you know, the media ecosystem, the venture capital ecosystem, like all these, the ecosystem in which this is being made is like turning it into an anti-solution, mm. right? But there's, I think a little bit of that blame also has to go on the people working on it. I think, well, let's get, let's move on to my next example. Sure, sure. I think that'll clarify okay. that really, really well. That's why I chose this one. So I want to talk about this company called Kodama.ai. Well, I think they're just called Kodama. but they're familiar. Mm, interesting. Is you it? might have heard about them because they were recently in the news for, I think Alex Jones learned about them. (laughs) And so what they are, they got a bunch of money from the Bill Gates climate fund, whatever it's called. They raised some money from that. So what they do is they sell carbon offsets. I don't know how much detail you want to go into carbon offsets as like a mechanism. So Kodama.ai sells carbon offsets by burying trees. Oh, this. Okay. I think I may have heard a podcast on this. Yeah. Ah, really? Yes. I think it could yeah. be a slate one or something. I can't remember. I think this is a really good example of, I think the entire carbon credit system, it's kind of an edge case, right? Because remember mm. I said they have to be profitable and like there's nothing in the world. I think normally if I go outside my house and cut a tree down and burying it, no one's going to give me money, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like not profitable because it's some like very real sense, technological anti-solutions and for the climate crisis, maximize GDP. Mm. <laughs> they let you both create the crisis and its solutions, right? And like, and I kind of like link them. So Kodama.ai raised a bunch of money. They cut down trees and they bury them in salt marshes. Some people do salt marshes. Some people bury them. First of all, just the problem with climate change is that we're burning fossil fuels. It's not that we have too many trees above ground, right? Like not all problems need to be attacked at their root cause, but it should be prioritized, right? Like at some level, it's bad engineering. Okay, if I have two cliffs and you could get from one side to the other, I could make an air balloon or I can make a bridge, which is better. It's better engineering. They both solve the problem. This is the air balloon solution, right? Mm -hmm. This is like a stupid way to go about doing this. (laughs) You know what I mean? But I think the, the absurdity of it, right, like on its face, right? I mean, imagine, it, just imagine this operation, right? You go down with a chainsaw, you cut a tree, you get an excavator, you dig a hole, you put, it's absurd. You, maybe we need to go into it because I'm blanking on the details of how, was this yeah. the case where 
Because my impression of it, and maybe I heard a different thing, maybe I'm misremembering, but I, I thought it was more product of bureaucratic or or otherwise corrupted processes of, of trying to do. So uh, yeah. let me step back. I could be wrong, but I mm. do think that the fundamental concept of you set the entire limit of what you want. So you say, we need carbon footprint or carbon whatever to be this. That's the cap. And Mm. setting up this market of, yeah, okay, you can buy and trade these and offsets might be part of that, et cetera, et cetera. I think just mathematically that's sound, but my impression was this is a question of how many ways that can go wrong, which is either one, just special interests mess up the legislation so it actually doesn't do the thing that it was supposed to do. You know, like they'll mm. they'll carve out exceptions that's like, oh, great, you've made this entire thing pointless. Or you're wrong about either the cap you're setting or you're setting too high of a cap and so it's not actually going to do the things. There's a million ways it could go wrong. My impression was that this was some combination of that kind of weirdness. But are you telling me that this was actually something that was looked at as a technology that was going to help the problem? Yeah, this is such a good question. So I, I'm going to try to break this down. And I think this is, you asked the perfect question. So the tree burying is one of the many carbon, I think you you understand the point I'm making, which is the tree burying sells carbon credits so that I can, you know, I'm an airline and I can mm-hmm. make my flight carbon neutral or whatever, right? Yeah. So to, to address your thing about the in principle plausibility of the system. So I'm going to give a shout out to actually my brother and PhD student. Um, so Corey Doctor. No, no, this is so my brother. This is what he studies, actually. Oh, cool. <laughs> he, I would say, he's a professional hater of carbon markets. Ooh, and I'll so have to get the, him on the, show. the problem, actually, you should. He's great. He's really wonderful. He sounds actually when I hear a recording of myself, I hear him. Okay. So um, maybe he sounds just like me. He, so yeah, maybe you can listen. Yeah, to so it'll be. It'll just be like a continuation. For, we don't actually. We can be the same person. Maybe you switched out partway through this, and we yeah, don't even know. Yeah, cut all that. Um, but <laughs> so, so the you know the problem with again go back to like the you know what is a good engineering solution, right? Like the carbon markets system, while fine in principle, it is also fine in principle to instead of building a bridge, give every single person like a little little drone that carries them across, right? It's just it's a very silly yeah. and overly complicated and dangerous way of doing it. So that's first level of of a thing I want to say about it. Second level is I would agree with what you said about the loopholes and policies and bureaucratic failures and all that. But I would also argue that they're actually innate to that structure. Could be, yeah, for sure. Because for a lot of reasons, some of them I think as you know, your standard leftist like you, you know, you, it's what you think I'm going to say, right? Like yeah. capital has the money, they have the influence. But then another one I think you're not expecting probably, which is the process of science is necessarily uncertain, right? Mm. So like, you know, my brother works a lot in blue carbon, which is ocean stuff, seagrass, mm. stuff like that, okay. right? So when you do an offset, so first of all, there's the structure of carbon offsets is a little silly on their face. So they do avoided emissions. Are you familiar with that? Uh, why don't you explain it just because yeah. even if I am, the, who knows if the audience is. So. <laughs> when you sell a carbon offsets, the way we've decided to do it, and this goes back to this being, I think, structural, is you You're like, I was say, gonna burn an entire exactly. forest tomorrow, but exactly. I won't. So I've now this saved was going us. to yeah. be destroyed, but now that it isn't, yeah, going no, to that's be ridiculous. And yeah, obvious moral hazard there, right? And that goes back to the thing I said before, which I think it's a little bit innate to the structure of you know the, your standard leftist critique. But then there's also okay, even if we take that on its face value, you know, let's say we did the ideal paper math, like everything. Well, is, yeah, and we let me just pause to say that I, if everything I said a second ago does not include that bullshit, so I would look at right, that totally, as like that's totally. not 
part of the legitimate process right. of this. I 100% agree. Okay. So let's say that this is a proper implementation. Okay. We still have to figure out how much carbon is in that seagrass. There is a right answer in some like abstract sense, but in like in some material like operational sense, this is like pretty difficult to measure. The science comes okay. with uncertainty. And sometimes the uncertainty be like quite big. So uh, one thing my brother likes to say is, one thing the carbon markets do, science can only go so far in answering the question. And then there's an extra bureaucratic step where we let the market dictate, you know, we, we can get a range, hmm. right? We can say, we think in this patch, there's between this amount and this amount of carbon, but then we need to have an actual answer, right? Yeah, by the yeah. end of the day. And that process of making it exact is error prone, right? That's the of point course, of the yeah, error sure. bars, right? And we all know, like, okay, how, how do you go about that? Do you guess it's the middle? Do you do the conservative? And now we're guessing, but that's a big gamble to take. You're banking our it's solutions to like one of the biggest crises on earth on science is one thing, but banking it on science and then making guesses on top of that through like a market process, right? Is a pretty different thing. Yeah. I, I think the term I remembered that I don't hear used anymore is actually just cap and trade. And I'm realizing cap and trade, totally. that yeah. might be a different thing than these offsets. I'm thinking because mm, cap is. and trade it, is a pretty basic arithmetic of we're capping the shit at this. That's it. No one can do any more, but you can trade amongst yourselves, which actually mm. might make sense if it's like, well, yeah, we're a company that the thing we make is good and we can't get under that limit, but maybe we can buy the ability to do that from somebody else who had it before and doesn't need it or something like that. But either way, you've capped the thing at the number that you think is what you need and assuming that that number is well chosen and that everything's enforced, obviously, and all that, that. I think has to work on some level, but I guess I think maybe over the years we've gotten so far away from that, perhaps because of the very things you're talking about, you know, like we've added all these other things. Well, what about an offset? Well, what if I promise I won't burn down my house tomorrow, which I was going to do mm. and that'll add to the, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, that might've just gotten so far away from the original concept that I thought was pretty much sound that it's not even anything anymore. Well, they did. I think part of the carbon offset vision is that what if we use instead of only capping and trading, we can say, okay, we can use this money to preserve ecosystems because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the climate crisis is more than just like, it's also ecosystem right. collapse, yeah, sure. right? So we can say like, maybe we can fund this like seagrass is, you know, there's some gotcha. effort that yeah. has to be undertaken to like be able to, you know, whatever. And then, but there is some carbon that it's storing and it was going to be destroyed. So yeah. what if we say we can offset someone else's carbon by like selling that ecosystem? That mm -hmm. And I think that, that brings us around really nicely because that's my fourth point, right? It further entrenches existing power structures. Mm. So if you look at who funds a lot of research into like some ecosystems now, it's like polluters, uh. right? And that, that's so sinister, right? Like, it's, So they're kind of giving us these... the data that we are allegedly going to use to make some of these decisions, you're saying? Totally. And they, and, and, you know, when you fund something, even if you don't have editorial thing over, you do get to guide the direction it goes, sure, right? If yeah. suddenly all these scientists who want to study, I don't know, mangrove swamps or whatever, they're looking for the next grant. Suddenly there's a lot of grants to figure out how much carbon is in them. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I, I suspect, I don't know if anyone's done this research, but I suspect that we're going to see a bias towards higher carbon <laughs> counts, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I don't think, that I don't think sense. it's a, I don't think that's yeah. a stretch. <laughs>
So you can see sort of like on many levels why these like anti-solutions are problematic, right? So like on the, you know, but how did we get silly. to burying a tree? I don't, I don't. How even did understand. we get to burying a tree? Isn't Do you that, know wild? that I forget. I can't. I, th I think it's because when you look, I mean, I think it's as straightforward as I want to make money on carbon offsets. I look around. There's a bunch of trees around me right now. <laughs> there's a ton of carbon. I can bury them. <laughs> like what? we need a lot of indulgence. How does that help? Yeah, <laughs> it is, it is kind of like that. <laughs> It is that, yeah. And I think it helps because by burying it and preserving the carbon, it doesn't end up in the air and a new tree goes in its place. So I think the idea is that carbon comes out of the air. But how did we get there actually is that it's a stupid idea. <laughs> it's a stupid idea that can let people make money off okay. I guess, and maybe this isn't that important, but I was trying to, I was trying to understand if this was an intentional thing or a byproduct of some bullshit that got twisted up. You know what I mean? Because there was one, I might be thinking of a different one. There was one involving, I think it was landfills or some shit. Like there was something like that. I thought it was the same thing, but maybe it's not. So the point is something gets counted that clearly should not be counted toward offsetting carbon. And yeah, once once any of that goes wrong, then the whole concept gets ruined. Yeah, what you said, yeah. <laughs> doing things and mitigating them is always going to be higher risk than not doing them, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just to keep pulling on the carbon offsets for a little sure. bit, because it's just like a little, it's perennial. Actually, really recently, I'm going to send you another article. This one. Oh, sorry. I was still trying to figure out the, the bearing the trees thing. Yeah. Sorry. I couldn't help but look up the bearing the trees thing. It's literally that mm. there's carbon stored in there. Yeah. And so yeah, you're yeah, burying yeah. it to slow down yes. how it would come out. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I guess, yeah. so it is a thing that actually does something, but it's just one of those. Yeah. Are we in the same ballpark as the crate of tomatoes where it's like, yeah, okay, but that's barely going to solve anything. Like it's just not scalable or something. And also to go back to the framework of imagine the ideal world. Is the ideal world one where we're constantly deforesting ourselves and burying <laughs> the trees yeah. such that we can keep burning oil? That's yeah. like a shitty world, right? Yeah, like <laughs> I agree. All right, let's read this headline. Corporate carbon offset company accidentally starts devastating wildfire. Yeah, sure, sure. I just wanted to give you the headline because you just, you know, like I just said, like mitigating things is always riskier than, and we like we literally already have examples. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. I have one more thing I want to read about carbon capture. I think this is the first ever contract for carbon. So this is a little bit different. This is carbon capture. So okay. these are Talked all related about it on the concepts. show a little bit recently, but. Okay, so these are all related concepts, but like, you know, the idea is, we talked about a little bit with BCCS, right? And these are all related concepts, but the idea is you, you, you capture it and you either do it to your facility or you do it to another one and mm -hmm. sell the offsets. Like, so the Biden administration recently signed a deal to do carbon capture. And can you tell me, read me that headline and tell me uh, who the Sure, sure. Is. The big new ExxonMobil climate change deal that got an assist from Joe Biden is the headline. Yeah. So that's the further entrenching existing power structures, right? Yeah. Like, and if you read, this, if this you is, read. Uh, yeah, a year, year old or so. What's, what are the, what are the details there? There's a couple of quotes here. So this is Peter McNally. He's a the global sector leader for industrial materials or whatever that is. He says, carbon capture is a big boys game. These are billion dollar projects. It's big companies capturing large amounts of carbon and big oil and gas companies are where the expertise is. Hmm. I think without realizing it, that person has like very nicely articulated why the carbon offset market is like the anti-solution growing petri dish that it is. Because this, this problem is so big and because this approach isn't going to be able to solve it, the scale of it is so huge that the only people who possibly have the resource to do with it are the people who are causing the problem in the first mm -hmm. place. Yeah, I think a lot would depend on the details for me. I mean, I, I mm. think that 
if you looked at it a different way mm. or maybe not a different way and said, all right, these people are the people ruining the planet. So they're going to be the ones who have to f- stop ruining the planet. Sure. If this was a viable way to stop ruining the planet, then I actually don't have a problem with them being the ones to stop doing it. But I don't know. Maybe that's not what's going on here. Oh, so no, I'm just neither. saying like the yeah. details... Kind of. My problem with it isn't that they made the mess and then are going to clean it. My problem is they want to make the mess and clean the mess and then make money for both of them. <laughs> yeah, right? I think that's that's the real problem here, right? It's incapable of solving the problem, yeah. but it is maximizing their power on the world, right? They're profiting off their own disaster. Yeah, no, I know. I, I don't know what the alternative is in a way that's practical. Like, what would it take? I actually don't know legally. What would it take to just say, okay, no more this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, can we, would, <laughs> is the alternative that we need to say, you cannot produce above this amount of whatever carbon uh, into the air, whatever the thing we're talking about, if it's pollution, if it's climate change, and then just fucking figure it out, right? I mean, is that the thing that is the real solution? What's the, if, if similar to the food desert thing, like, What's the actual real solution in your mind that we need to be doing here? Yeah, I think what I'm here to say is that the right solution isn't allowing oil companies to develop technologies. <laughs> I think that's the, it's a little bit of a weaseling. I do have opinions about it, but I do feel like I'm a little bit out of my depth. For okay, like, sure. Like, you know, like, it's a question, you know, the one, like, I'm happy to talk revolutionary strategy, but it's also since... Well, I, think, <laughs> but, I guess <laughs> I would say that in order to be able to identify a tech anti-solution... I feel mm. like you would need some amount of information on what the real solution is or at the very least why something isn't a solution. And if, I don't know, like if this technology is something that actually could be a solution, I don't know because I'm not really an expert in it, then I, it, it really doesn't matter who does it. I mean, I don't love if an oil company is making money off of it, but like if they have the button that's like the fix the problem button, then fucking whoever has it needs to push it. Well, I don't agree with that because remember, it's a context framework. So if they have the button that says this can fix the problem, they should push it. But also they can hold us hostage with their button. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And that, yeah. that's sort of what I'm getting at. Right. I think, you know, I have no problem with people figuring out just like I had no problem with BECCS. I have no problem with people figuring out fun ways to carbon capture, or useful mm-hmm. ways to carbon capture. What I have a problem with is this like we shouldn't allow these power entrenching social technological cycles to form. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure, that's yeah. the anti that's what makes it an anti solution. The one thing I really want to I want to leave people with is, you know, I, I talked a lot about the technologies I don't like, but I like technology. <laughs> and, <laughs> sure you, know, you the, do. He's wearing a tinfoil hat right now. <laughs> I like technology. I mean, I am using the laptop equivalent of a tinfoil hat. My laptop is from like 2011. <laughs> but anyway, I, I do like technology. And the, the reason, you know, people are probably caught that my website is called The Luddite and that's not actually like a tongue-in-cheek joke about like Luddites. I think since I've named it that, I think it's come, you know, Brian Merchant released a book about the Luddites and it's come a little more mm. in the cla- into like social consciousness. But the Luddites weren't anti-technology necessarily. They were anti-capitalist control of technology. Really? Right? They were actually quite sophisticated people. They were like loomers. They used machines. And if you read like what they had to say about it, what they said was, that the factory owners were using these machines. I forgot exactly how they said they said it, but to defraud them of their living in a deceitful manner. And I think the reason I called my blog the Luddite is because I want people, when you evaluate a technology, be a Luddite, right? Look at look at the technology and say, if because of this technology, 
you are going to be hungry or out of a job, smash it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Like smash it in the moment, right? Because I think, and that's a question of context, right? Had the Luddites been granted democratic control, right? We wouldn't, just like you don't lay off mom with a washing machine, had those factories been under democratic control of the workers, then their livelihoods wouldn't have been at risk. And mm -hmm. I think that's sort of, a lot of the things I write about are sort of doing a similar evaluation, right? Like the technologies, you can talk about them for the sake of argument, like they're in vacuum and in principle, mm -hmm. and they do this and do that. But at the end of the day, technologies are social things that live in the world. And that is how you should decide how you feel about it. So I'm not against technology, I'm against stupid and harmful technology. And technologies often become stupid and harmful when they're deployed by bad people, <laughs> or when they're controlled by bad people. And that's the framework I really want to, you know, if you forgot the five things or whatever, fine. <laughs> but what I really want to hammer home is not to make a pun on Luddite smashing things, but I really want to hammer <laughs> home <laughs> is the point of technologists is to make our lives better, right? Yeah. They have to have yeah. no intrinsic value in and of themselves. And if technologies is making our lives worse, then we should destroy them. We should stop them. They're bad. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. And I'll say, you know, maybe we can, we could do that by, uh, by shifting funds. I don't know that you need to get a hammer out, but you know, different approaches. That's okay. Different. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the threat tactics. of the hammer matters yeah, just yeah, as sure. much oh, as the hammer. Yeah. I believe I, I, I agree with that. No, this has been a lot of fun. Alejandro, thank you so much. And oh, as always, I want to give you a chance to plug anything you want to plug. You've, you've mentioned a few of your projects, but if you mm. wanted to send listeners anywhere, where would it be? Well, um, I write about technology at theluddite.org. So go there, check it out and uh, organize your workplaces. Everyone should organize their workplaces. Excellent. I love it. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. And uh, for real, maybe we should talk to your brother. Maybe see, <laughs> see if he wants I to I would do be happy. He would that'd love be, to that'd talk. Be super he fun. hates carbon markets and he would love to talk about it. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. A lot to think about. And thank you so much. Thank you. Computers are so stupid. <laughs>